You're very welcome to the Firm and Fast Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Darby. We have a full house on this episode to talk about the development and construction of St. Patrick's Links at the Rossapenna Golf Resort in Donegal, Ireland. Rossapenna's Director of Golf, Frank Casey Jr., joins us from Rossapenna, where he's readying his team for what will no doubt be a very busy 2022 golf season. Clive Johnson of Cunning Golf joins us from Teirai on the North Island of New Zealand. Clyde is currently building on another sand-based site, again under the watchful eye of Tom Doe. Clyde was one of the lead shapers on the St. Patrick's project. Our regular architecture contributor, Ali McIntosh, also joins us. Ali, of course, is currently the consulting architect at Kern Golf Links in County Mayo and Strandhill Golf Club in County Sligo. The beginning of the St. Patrick's story starts with a hotelier called Dermot Walsh from Carrigart. Mr. Walsh developed 36 holes in conjunction with the late Eddie Hackett and Joanne O'Hare in the mid-1990s. Early in the noughties, a Dublin-based developer bought the St. Patrick's site with a view to developing a 36-hole Jack Nicklaus signature design. The project construction team moved on site in 2007 for a fleeting moment until the Celtic Tiger crash intervened. That construction team pulled off site and the property ended up in the state entity called NAMA, which liquidated bad loans as part of the bank bailout scheme that the Irish government initiated at that time. Around the same time, the US-based photographer Larry Lambrecht introduced the Casey family to Tom Doak of Renaissance Design. Mr. Doak had always wanted to build a links course in Ireland and having looked at a number of sites that ultimately never received the required environmental clearances, he was still hopeful, if not hugely expectant. The Casey family purchased the adjoining Rossapenna Golf Resort in the early 1980s, over time redeveloping the hotel and golf pavilion and adding an additional 27 holes to, to the facility. In 2012, they took the plunge in buying the 300 plus acre property of St. Patrick's for golf development purposes. Tom Doak and the Renaissance team carried out the first official site visit in 2013. The first green sites were shaped in June 2018, with the remaining greens and most bunkering completed in 2019. The final finishing touches were carried out during 2020, with the course opening for play in June 2021. This is the St. Patrick's Link story. We hope you enjoy. Hello everybody, uh, I was just thinking earlier on and it's great to have Ali and Clyde and Frank with us today. Uh, Clyde, it must be great to follow the sun. Um, how's all the Mangawai on the North Island of New Zealand? Yeah, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, always, I'm not sure I always follow the sun, but yeah, it's beautiful, uh, beautiful place to, to be uh, again for six months or so, so nice to be out in the sun and packing on sunscreen three or four times a day. And then washing it off in the ocean after work is quite nice too. You really know how to uh, how to make somebody that's sitting in the cold even colder. Um, on that on that vein, uh, Frank, I'm assuming it's cold and windy in Rossapenna. How has winter 21-22 been for you and the team? Yeah, it's a little bit cooler up here at the minute. We um, this morning it's blowing about 30 miles an hour out of the southeast. So uh, with hail showers, so it's a little bit different to where Clive is. Um, winter was okay, really, up until sort of mid-January, late January. But since that, it's been 
um, a little bit more difficult. We had obviously those three named storms within five days, the third week of February, which was uh, which was a little bit difficult. Um, but overall, it's been it's been okay. A lot, a lot, of, lot more rainfall this side of Christmas than before Christmas. But um, it's encouraging to see seeing the days getting a little bit longer. So springs, uh, springs on its way. Excellent. Well, look, guys, it's great to have you all here to talk about the development of St Patrick's Links at Rossapenna, which obviously is located in Downing's County Donegal, on the achingly beautiful northwest coast of Ireland. Donegal is a place that's very dear to my heart and Rossapin in particular, having visited the place quite regularly over the last few years. Before we jump into the conversation, it might be useful to get a brief introduction from our two very special guests, Frank and Clyde. Frank, you might go first. Please tell us a bit about yourself, how you got into golf, golf operations, and indeed working in the family business. So um, I suppose it really goes back to when we opened Sandy Hills in 2003. Um, very soon after that, we opened the Golf Pavilion in May '05, um, which uh, all where all the golfers run out of at the minute. So before that, you know, the hotel was the base, um, really just been run out of reception. But uh, the first tee for Sandy Hills was right beside the site for for the Golf Pavilions. So it was quite a little bit away from the hotel. So um, we opened here um, in May '05. And that really sort of golf took on a different sort of, um, there's a whole different aspect to it here. Everything was much more centralized here for our members, for hotel guests and visiting green fees. Um, and then in September 09, the uh, configuration of the old course changed with the first tee starting here at the golf pavilion also with the, uh, with the introduction of the strand nine. So since sort of 2005 i've been based here looking after all the golf for our members hotel guests and visiting green fees clyde in the same vein you might just give us a quick introduction to uh, mr clyde johnson how you got hooked by the golf bug and ultimately what led you down the design and build path that's taking you around the world uh, yeah i kind of uh, i guess i had uh, i guess i can put my interest in golf down to having uh an older older brother who was uh who was into the game into lots of sports uh, just started playing when i was a, a toddler uh kind of grew up in in a house on the edge of the lake district in england and we were lucky to have a little a little field in the, that joined onto the back garden so i'd spend my days on the weekends uh mowing out greens uh bamboo canes and pillowcases for flags uh all days in the uk would always kind of uh be to the seaside so lots of opportunities to see golf courses yeah so just about to love uh i love uh, seeing new places and seeing new golf courses uh and i uh you know it's kind of a passion uh to become a golf course sidekick from a young age like like many people in the business i suppose uh i uh went off to university studied structural engineering and architecture uh which uh you know Seemed like a sensible fall back option because no one really tells you how to become a golf course architect. Uh, and anyway, as I was finishing up my time doing that, I, I sent Tom Doak uh, an email uh, or a, a letter, actually, I think. Uh, and you know, the timing wasn't quite right at the, t at the time, but uh, a year or so, a year or so later, when I was actually studying uh, in America for 18 months, uh, there was an opportunity came to uh, jump on the crew. Uh, at Dizzle River in Nebraska. So that was a pretty uh, 
pretty interesting uh, introduction to true minimalist golf course architecture. Uh, and I've just been, uh, you know, from, from there, uh, you know, fortunate to spend some time around Tom and his Renaissance golf design guys, uh, just working on projects with Tom. Uh, Tom has been a really good mentor, uh, pushing me out to do work on my own. So for the last five, six, seven years now, actually, uh, been, you know, consulting at clubs, uh, across the UK and Ireland, uh, New Zealand too, uh, where I've not been, you know, and helping Tom and the guys on new build projects as and, as and when, uh, they need the help. Brilliant. Thanks for that introduction, Clyde. I suppose I, I've detailed some of the St. Patrick's site's history in the podcast introduction. Uh, Frank, I'd love to bring you back into the mists of time to explore what drove the Casey's and I suppose particularly your mom and dad to purchase this, the Rossapena Resort back in the 1980s. Yeah, so it was um, 41 years ago next month that uh, my mother and father uh, bought the hotel and and one golf course at the time, uh, the old Tomorrow's Links. So obviously my, my dad's local, very local here. His grandfather worked in the old hotel, um, which was destroyed by a fire in May 62. Um, and my father would have spent, you know, he didn't he, he, he didn't really work in the old hotel, but he would have spent some time in the old hotel when he, when he was very young. He, uh, he worked, he was always, he always worked in hotels. He worked in hotels in London and France, um, in the late sixties and seventies. Um, he came back to Donegal in the mid seventies and bought a hotel about 15 minutes away in a place called Mulford and, um, worked there. Um, and then the opportunity came up to purchase Rossapena. So he sold the hotel in Mulford and, um, did what he could to raise the, to raise the funds and him and my mother um, bought, bought the hotel in uh, April 81. Okay. Um, another question for Frank and apologies, Clyde. We will get, uh, we, I assure you there are a few questions for you later on. Uh, just setting the scene, in terms, of, in terms of your relationship and the introduction that Larry Lambrecht made uh, to the Casey family, to Tom Doak, back in 2007, how important, Frank, do you think that this introduction was and in fact is to the ongoing development of golf at, at Rossapana. Um, yes, so we've known Larry for an awful long time. He, you know, he's been coming to Ireland um, since the 80s, 90s, you know, taking photographs um, of particularly the Lynx courses. Um, so he's known us, we've known him for an awful long time. So he introduced us to Tom in, uh, I think it was late 2007, um, we ended up doing some work on the, the strand nine. We redid seven of those nine greens. Um, and we kind of were looking and talking about one or two other things, but then obviously we had the, the financial crash of 2008 and sort of nothing moved forward, you know, immediately after that. But uh, obviously we stayed in touch. And then, you know, we obviously were purchasing Patrick's in late 2012. So the conversation then um, started up again and obviously around St. Patrick's. Yeah, apropos the St. Patrick's property, um, I, I'm, I'm interested to understand what your initial vision was and how this may have evolved over time. I guess ultimately how that translated into a design brief for the project uh, for Tom. You know, did you consider different iterations and 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 
combinations, maybe nine, maybe 18, maybe 27, because obviously there was 36 there originally uh, with the, uh, the original St. Patrick's development. That's right, yeah. It was a 36-hole development, but the, the second course, the Chamorro course, um, was, you know, it was always an awful lot. You know, it was quite squeezed in places. Um, it is a big site, but it's it's maybe not just big enough for two courses if you want to have enough, you know, room between the corridors. Um, there is some stuff out there that we thought about an additional nine holes to tack on to our nine holes in the valley or talk of doing 27 on St. Patrick's alone or talk of 18, but that was always kind of, that was other people who kind of, other people who approached us and sort of said, you should do this, you should do that. But, you know, we were always of the same uh, opinion of Tom that it deserved just its own 18 holes on its own site. Um, so there was never really any serious thought and, you know, 18, of one course and a nine hole extension or anything like that it was always to to do its own uh 18 hole i think that's one of the one of the great success stories actually frank you know looking back in hindsight if you if you had gone down a 27 hole route or you know a 36 was never going to fit yeah. then it was never going to be of the same quality yeah. scale that you have with the 18 so you know making that decision that you did uh, along with tom that it was 18 holes is is why it's such a great course now you know but i guess in reflection on, on that answer and having haven't been fortunate to play the golf course on a number of occasions last year if you put any more than 18 in there you probably would have lost some of the scale and the space that the site affords i mean that, that was the one thing that blew me away the first time was just the sense of space um and i suppose if you were trying to fit any more than any more than that in you potentially sorry any more than 18 obviously you potentially lose fairway width and therefore you lose that just that sense of space i suppose a question for clyde actually uh finally and apologies for the delay in getting to you, mr johnson um the project team leaders for the saint patrick's development consisted of yourself angela moser eric iverson and, and of course tom doak himself i understand all or at least most of you were involved in the first site visit to saint patrick's in 2013 I actually, my first time on site was actually uh, 2018, uh, 20, yeah, early 2018 uh, with Tom. Uh, I first laid my eyes on the site actually when I played Rosa Pena in 2009. And as Frank, uh, or as I fondly remember, remind Frank, it's probably the only time I'll ever pay to play Rosa Pena. So, uh, yeah, I remember playing the, the, old child. the student rate, I think, from memory. Sounds like he still has his, his receipt. He does still have the receipt, don't worry. As as you know, as as I remember, as I remember, yeah, pretty fondly from from that time in two thousand nine. You know, you're playing the old, you're tracking down the down the beach along the holes that run along down the beach in the bottom of the uh, old uh, Tom Morris course, the Valley Nine, and you can just at, at the time you could see what looked like ribbons of fescue up on the hillside, and it's just like, oh, there must be golf over there. You know, there wasn't really anything any information uh, on St. Patrick's out there in any type of media yeah, at the time. So it was kind of one that had, one that had missed the schedule, but one that had, uh, you know, kind of intrigued me. So it was uh, really nice to be able to head back there with Tom in 2018. And probably the, the enduring memory of that time, walking around the site for the first site, first time was how difficult it actually was to traverse, you know, because a lot of the old uh, playing corridors had really narrowed 
uh, you know, so a lot of the a lot of the walking we were doing was around uh, knee high marram and moss that was just really sapping. You know, you walk down walk down the present day fourth hole that seems like a, uh, that's a par five, and you know, it felt like it was two par fives tacked together. You know, it was it was fairly taxing. Yeah, I understand as as part of the the situation when the course was was in Nama, the uh, the state the state body that 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 took on the bad loans that there was a couple of local guys somewhat maintaining the fairways and the greens in terms of mowing stuff out having seen a course or two that has let's say been let let go i, I can imagine and i and i understand clyde that you were responsible for mowing the fairways back out in in 2018 how onerous of a task was that given the description you've just given to us in terms of traversing the site <laughs> if you uh, if you ask uh the, the case is local contract contract help brian uh he'd say very onerous onerous given the the tractor pto that snapped at least once uh you know it was it was pretty amazing what the flail mower was able to was able to handle though you know there were some really some really really steep uh places if for those that have played the golf course today's 11th fairway which is actually Along with twelve, the most interior out of any of the the holes, uh, believe it or not, was probably the most severe uh, piece of land uh, to mow. Uh, but you know, as an experience, that was probably my favourite part of the project. You know, as satisfying as it is to be building greens, you know, seeing everything come together. You know, m- mowing out the the playing corridors and re- uh, recapturing the sense of scale, uh, and you know, just revealing the golf course. You know, you. you get, the land Tom's routing was so good and the land was so interesting and so diverse, you know, as soon as, soon as you'd mowed it out, you know, you could see the, the golf course was there ready to go. You know, obviously during the construction, there were, there were parts of fairways that we had to, had to selectively spot soften, uh, mostly of excavator work, but you know, this was, this was traditional, this was as close to traditional links golf course construction as I think you'd, you'd find in this day and age, which was, which, which is what made the, the project so special to us all i think yeah i guess uh, clyde other than the than the traversing difficulties uh world-class courses generally need world-class sites what were your first impression of the landscape that you encountered at st patrick's in 2018 once you once you'd actually done a bit, bit of flail mowing and broke uh, sorry snapped a few pto uh p- ptos yeah, it's, it's it's probably just it's probably just the diversity of it, uh, and you know, a lot of the credit to that feeling that I got goes to how good Tom's routing is at exploring the property and making use of the space. Uh, so you know, you know, I think I think what probably sets it apart from you know, you got the big you got the big June golf course on the west coast of Ireland and the really big June golf course on the west coast of Ireland, but you. But, you know their their properties are so severe that the golf becomes a little bit tiring. It's not you know my preferred links golf is the you know the kind of East Coast Scotland type quieter four five six foot two three foot high undulations that you know the ball really that really influence how the ball interacts with the ground. Uh, but you know this, this, there there are some big uh, scale movements to the fairway contours at St Patrick's, but really not that onerous uh you know they're good mix, i think isn't it like, you know it's like what makes the site so special is it's got three or four different kind of areas to it it's got 
it's got the sea or down by the valley or the extension of the valley there it has the the blowout areas and the bigger dunes around which now house two seven and eight then it has a kind of big huge massive dune in the middle of the hill that you kind of work in and around and then the the, the inland undulations and through all of that you've got this great fairway or great just dune undulation micro undulation through it so the site is really special it's a kind of mix of west coast big dunes with east coast traditional golf as clyde is referring to really special site you mentioned uh, tom doak's rooting clyde i can imagine that rooting any site with the scale of st patrick's or indeed any site just in general often necessitates solving some complex directional puzzles uh, with this in mind can you speak to where the renaissance team or indeed i know tom likes to do his own routing invariably tom in particular had any eureka moments during the course of solving the routing conundrum by the time i was on site tom had pretty much nailed down tom had pretty much nailed down his routing uh so i can't speak too much to that but i will you know it's probably it's probably best to describe you know if you just if you describe the route, you know, the, the first plays into an amphitheater of dunes, the second you kind of up high, playing through, you know, down into an amazing corridor of dunes, big blowouts on the right, the third you kind of short hole that plays into a bowl and, before, you know, a little glimpse of the ocean, then you get this great reveal on the fourth where you, you play from up high down alongside the bay. Five, you kind of, you kind of play above a massive blowout of sand with the, the sound of the ocean to your right and six, you kind of play back down uh, to the base of another dune, seven into a plunge bowl, eight back out on the angle with the headland across the water in the distance, uh, nine, 10, 11, you kind of transfer through through the bit, through some medium sized for the site anyway, uh, dunes and before you know it, you're kind of on the backside of the property, uh, 12, you're playing up towards Erigal, mountain in the in the distance and you know more water is the backdrop once you traverse with your second or third shot onto a high plateau and before you know it again you're kind of in this massive expanse of dunes yeah and you get the second great reveal on 14 which is kind of reverse of the 17th at, at valley bunion where you, you drive out towards the water and there's a big advantage for playing as tight to the water as possible yeah and then 15 you kind of tack up you tack up the hill with a, a little par three over a massive massive expanse of sand and then before you you know somehow you somehow you've worked your way back onto this huge dune hill that kind of centers the property and then you play you play in chasing down the hill uh, towards the most beautiful backdrop of sandy exposed dunes imaginable and then 17's a 17's a, a beautiful path free over a deep bowl and then before you know it you're you're back at 18 so you know it's you know the routing to me is so so seamless that it's hard to imagine that there was, you know, that there's, there's, there's any ever compromise made to it. I've heard Tom speak about obviously three or four distinct areas on the property, and you've explained those areas quite well there through that last piece. I've heard him explain it as it's the sort of walk that you might go if you walked the site and there was no golf holes there almost like a nature walk if you like in terms of just exploring the the, the four different areas and that's probably the the greatest compliment you can uh, throw throw in tom's direction because it's as you say it's seamless yeah it's a, it's a, it's a really it's a really inquisitive walk too you know you kind of even from the first to the even to from the first green to the second tee there's you know there's another there's another great reveal the backdrop's completely different but like 
amazing at the same time and the same from two to three, three to four. And, you know, I'm, you know, it must, it must have been a, a it must have been, you know, one of the most fun routing exercises for Tom that he'll have ever done, I imagine. I think one of the keys to it, Clive, I don't know how Tom put it together, but I think one of the keys to it is when he decided to come around, start what he did, come around four or five and then back to six and decided to walk from six green up to seventies, you know, up the side of that dune. And I think that opened a kind of loop at the front, which is just this amazing starting loop of six uh, and and the thing that opened that up was the idea that you could walk back up off six onto to seven tees and play down there again you know so i think that was a i think that really adds to the to the i mean the kickoff of the course i can't think of many courses with better starts than st patrick's links does yeah it's fun, it's funny you say that because you know the start's beautiful and you got the ocean the ocean holes on both sets of nine and 16 kind of being this big crescendo but my favorite holes are probably those that work inland that stretch of yeah. 9 and 11 12 uh you know the the, di the diversity of backdrops the diversity of terrain the diversity of green sites is is set yeah. you know it's helped set it apart i totally agree Clyde. i, I think it, the, the the first few holes they give you that drama they set up the experience but you know that it's not to take away from some of the inland holes and the ninth is i think my favorite on the course but even you know 10 11 and 12 taken individually whilst they're further inland you know each of them is a fantastic hole sitting all over there playing back into the 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 the, the routing um conundrum if you like pacing and tempo are key to the golfer's experience while on any golf course I understand that at some point in the design process, perhaps if I'm recalling this properly, uh, a conversation took place between Tom Doak and Don Plasic actually in the office in uh, Traverse City. The the nines were actually switched insofar as initially the tent was the first and the first was the, was the tenth. Knowing the site as you do, Clyde, why do you think the Brains Trust in Traverse City decided on the switch, and how does this affect the golfing experience? Ooh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it was decided, but uh, you know, for me, if you were starting on the tenth hole, ten, eleven, twelve, with the prevailing wind, would be a pretty, pretty tough stretch to bring in the round with. And you know, the the opening hole is is kind of just that nice length, mid length, par. Uh, mid-length par four that kind of nestles into the dunes. So that's a really attractive little starting hole. Uh, and, I and I think I just prefer, me personally, I just prefer to reveal that you, you you get from three to four, you know, in terms of the the sequencing, the story, and the, you know, the story line of, of the walk and the way the holes fit together. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I've heard, I, I've, I've heard Tom say, um, that it's funny how often he has a reveal around the fourth hole. Um, I think from a pacing and tempo perspective, Barnbuckle Dunes is something similar. Um, obviously, coming up past Reg's hut there, I think that's four to five if memory serves. Yeah. Um, and 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 he's got one or two more as well. So uh, personally, I I, it, I think he said that oftentimes. The first hole is the most important uh, hole just to get you into the round and, and, and initial initial appreciation and initial sort of bang for your book. So I think you're you're absolutely right in terms of the if you were to start on if one was 10, if you like, you do have that pull up the hill into the wind. Um, 
and and you have that reveal you know three to four even 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 sooner in the round than you would have if it was if it was if it was 13 to 14 if you like and i think he also sort of felt that getting the at least initially uh getting the uphill walk done as quickly as possible might be uh, might be opportune particularly for um for visiting golfers obviously look i i i guess if we're if if I'm, I'm sort of interested to try and understand who did what, and I do, do appreciate uh, you may not be able to tell me exactly what I want to hear, but ultimately, having seen some pictures of the Tramore course, and I'm going to absolutely butcher this, the Mahara McGorgan course, I under that I understand that some of the original playing corridors were utilised. Um, from what I can make out, the first and second share common car- corridors with their predecessors. I understand that you may have had a somewhat of a part to play in number two. Can you perhaps tell us what was there, what you did, and uh, how you did it, and perhaps why you did it? Uh, yeah, the second, the second hole was actually the 17th hole on the O'Hare course, uh, or the, the course designed by Joanne O'Hare, mm-hmm. uh, which you know kind of starts from a high point, uh, plays down into the plays into a low, low valley valley bottom. Uh, big June Ridge on the right, uh, kind of holding the hole in. Uh, kind of June on the left, lower Junes on the left, kind of eating across the angle of play. Uh, then the green site up back up on the top of a, a June crest with a, an enormous uh, hidden hidden June trough bowl uh, to the left. Uh, pretty deep one behind as well that should never come into play. Uh, and then even deeper June Valley to the right that again should hopefully never ever come into play. Uh, you know, so there, you know, most of the most of the, the fairway contours are kind of in place. There's a little bit of a, a dunectomy, if you want to call it that, uh, that took place on the right of the hole. Uh, the previous, uh, you know, the original golf course was built fairly rudimentary. It's fair to be, it's fair to be said. Uh, you know, the. The end, the end of the June toe was kind of nuked off with a bulldozer, so we kind of reinstated that and, and re-naturalized that, setting some couple of a couple of naturalized bunkers uh, into into that piece to kind of help the guys the work and also from a strategic point of view, I think if you play the shorter hitter or even for the longer hitter that's able to, to blast over that ridge, you know, approaching from the right is generally generally preferred into the second green because there's a shoulder, uh, June shoulder, June high point that hides the big ball left of the green and kind of eats across the line of play for anyone that's pulled one out to the left. Uh, and then, Not yet, thankfully. Then there's, then there's, a, then there's a beautiful, there's a, a, nice, a, a nice beautiful green site that sits up on top. Uh, the work there, there was a little bit done, a little bit of work done on the left-hand side above the above the deep ball just to soften, soften that a little bit. That came down two or three feet just to take away some of the severity into that still still really really deep I've 15 foot 15 feet way more than that probably plus deep ball uh, and the green just green just gently rippling uh up the up the hill uh in terms of the the construction process uh pretty sure i jumped on pretty sure i jumped on that green first with some strong er- input from eric eric iverson by tom uh and then while well, tom was Tom was here, I think Eric Iverson uh, ended that green with him and made some tweaks. Uh, Angela Moser was responsible for building some beautiful tees up on the, on the high point there as well. So it's kind of, you know, all, all holes are, are, 
a, a collaborative process, but at the end of the day, it's, it's always Tom's golf course. You scraped out the, the bunkers on that ridge, did you, Clyde? They, they work in really well with the, the original blowouts up around the, the, the cloaking dunes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it was, uh, it's kind of patchwork, you know, when, you, when you're shaping something like that, you just kind of, you kind of piece, lift some of the marum off, piece it aside, do a bit of shaping, put the marum back, and then you kind of, you know, make the, the textures in some of those dune faces are, you know, full of moss, lichen, uh, marum grass poking through there. You know, it's just a case of, you know, just almost, it's, it's, it's kind of so delicate and you can see how the winds eroded that from even animal traffic. You know, it's kind of just a case of tearing away at those and just, Letting letting the nature take make, letting nature take care of the rest once once you've got something shaped in. Are you using particularly large or small equipment there, uh, Clyde? Yeah, uh, that's just just a thirteen ton excavator. You know the okay. little the little tweak that we made to to the artificial looking dune uh, shoulder that had been uh, edited in the previous or in the original iteration of the the previous the the O'Hare golf course was fairly steep to the foot into next and it was, you know, it was on its limits climbing up there to pull some of the material away from that, just to soften that slope and re-naturalize it. Uh, but, you know, working, working in an environment like the West coast of Ireland, uh, or any links environment really, but especially one like that, the, the Marin Fox and the excavator are probably your biggest friend because they, they help you to patch things back up and re-naturalize things pretty much instantly. You know, it's just a, you don't want to be doing too much of that type of work in areas that are close to play because it's it's near enough impossible to to close the gap between slabs of material instantly. Just something to, to mention to the listeners there. The old website is still live actually for the St. Patrick's, the original St. Patrick's golf course. And if, if somebody was particularly interested in seeing some of these some of these images, they're still up there. So I think the website is stpatrickslinks.com. Frank might be able to confirm or or deny that I'm, I'm assuming you're still still paying the hosting frank no that's actually still owned by the uh by the previous previous owners the walsh family um so uh they would have had that pre relton developments pre um have been bought in 2006 um so that's who owns that's who owns because it's still got the number of the carryguard hotel on it for inquiries so Beg your pardon, beg your pardon. Sorry for getting that wrong. Oh, but it's, it's it's a it's a nice, interesting artifact. Just if anybody was 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 completely uh, completely interested in in just taking a look at what was there previously and 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 matching what what they might see when they when they get to uh, St Patrick's. There's actually some pretty cool photographs of the original construction of the two golf courses on that uh, website too. For anyone interested in that type of thing, you know, it was a real it was a real labour of love with mostly local hands by all accounts doing uh, a bunch of the work i'm sure frank could tell more to that but i'm pretty sure you know there was a lot of marum and native grass material moved by hand fork in the in the construction and some of those initial uh saint patrick's green sites sounds like the stereotypical uh eddie hackett design ali maybe be able, be able to speak a little bit more to that or well, not eddie hackett designs are different depending on where you go because to, to, to the point clyde's making they were all constructed by the locals and, and local workforce so you know eddie obviously had his own design style uh, in some cases lack of style and um, um, but he had his own his own design traits but they were generally constructed by people on site so you have quite varying levels of finish or 
um, end product, I guess, dependent on who was actually building the course with, with Eddie overseeing it. Uh, obviously, the Nicholas Design Construction team was on site for a brief period, um, carrying out some initial site work on the Seaward Valley portion of the St. Patrick's site. Many of the atrophied and weather-worn construction scars from his work have been incorporated into the design of hulls, and specifically I'm thinking of 5 and 6, which come immediately to mind. Uh, were the sandy scars treated in any particular way during the construction process of St. Patrick's to stabilise them and to ensure they don't break down too quickly over time? Uh, yes, uh, uh, so five, five is the is the first one that comes to mind in terms of the sequence of the and the routing really low. You could include four for that regard. There's some, uh, some beautiful little uh, sandy uh, sandy trenches that are full of variety. Uh, in you know in their in their size, their scale, and their vegetation down both flanks. So most of those, for example, were you know kind of simply cleared out. Uh, where they were close to play just to show them off a little bit more and that's that's something that'll be an ongoing maintenance challenge is finding that right balance in such a windy environment uh you know it's amazing how quickly nature takes over because you know when we were first on site those things really popped uh, and then a couple of years later by the time we finished construction you know they weren't quite as visible uh, as we perhaps would like but you know uh the key on something like that was and again with six with the with the hell's half acre type uh trench of uh open sand and marum and little gnarly little uh eroded knobs of uh turf and textures you know it's just making sure that the you know there's there's good playability you know so taking the you know so a lot of those you know so parts of the hell's half acre we'll call it that uh were uh you know, closed in, you know, just a fair way extended into those areas just to make sure they were, you know, the hazards were nice and playable. Uh, the same on four as well, uh, just pushing out with the, the excavator or the dozer just to, just to get the, just to establish the ferry lines essentially. Uh, five, an area like five and the big sand bowl that fronts the uh, other short hole in that part of the, the course where there's really, really deep, big blowouts. Uh, that was more, that was all about stabilizing uh, the edge. So uh, the far edge of the far edge of fifth, uh, the fifth bowl kind of pretty much stayed as it was. Uh, but it was you know there's quite a lot of work in in building the tees and uh, on the on the back end of that and stabilizing the leading edge of those with Merriman uh, during construction. Uh, you know wind blow was still a problem, uh, but stabilizing. Stabilizing those with transplanting marum uh, makes a makes a big help, and you know the one the one for fifteen you have to be really conscious about getting trolley traffic because uh, we're in the UK and Ireland up and round through that sandy bowl, so it's kind of like a, a turf path that kind of works its way up and around through that big sandy pit, uh, and you know that you know features like that do quite a good job of breaking those spaces up so from when you're in the tee you can't really see you can't really see things like that but instead of it being a massive expanse of sand the, the pockets of sand closer to the green uh, are smaller and much more manageable and in, you know in both of those examples you know the worst winds kind of are blowing away from the green sites so uh you know i think they generally speaking don't suffer suffer too badly uh, you know, you look back at old pictures of golf courses with massive expanse of sand. You know, there's only two reasons that they were filled in. 
one because it was the really difficult features but two just because of how unmaintainable they were but i think at, i think at saint patrick's just because of the nature of the site and how sheltered and already deep they are uh you know the one the one in the fifth hole there's pretty much at sea level so it's kind of like sits the base that's probably 30 feet below you 15 20 30 feet below you it's a long way down so you know you're less worried about sand blowing out of those and onto the turf so in, in essence the, the 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 land above the the deep sandy scar is actually deflecting the wind over the top of it as opposed to actually down, down into it yeah i think so especially on you know the green sites sit nicely above of those features so you kind of you still get the enormous sense of scale of those especially on five when you're playing from certainties those eroded to date though i mean maybe maybe frank knows um like from when nicholas opened those sand scars up in 2006 if you take that huge one that you're talking about clyde in front of 5t which is probably 25 30 feet down now and it can't have been there it can't have been that low down originally because it must have been stripped off to to be potential fairway yeah, exactly. You could, you know, prior, prior, you know, that was that was that was a big part of the construction of building those tees. Actually, was was lowering the five, six plus feet wall of of sand dune ridge that you know blown up, blown up with time. Uh, yeah, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine that sand scrape. You no, know, that sand pit was anywhere near as deep as that. You know, as, yeah. as far as you know, from the original construction, they basically just like we did in our in our construction process, you kind of take the top six, 12 inches of the, the dark loamy soil, sandy soil material off the top layer, uh, you know, prior to shaping. And then you put that back after, after everything's been shaped that you want to shape. So they, they just stripped, stripped that loam material into big windrows that actually sit behind this, what's now the six green, uh, and never got round to putting it back. So that was, that was nature taking over for, for those years from that point. Uh, out of interest, when you take that loamy material off the top uh, cloud, how do you make sure on a site like St. Patrick's that it doesn't blow away? <laughs> you, you irrigate it as quickly as possible. Uh-huh. Essentially, okay. Uh, so you know, what is what is the only way to hold it down? And you know, water, having nice having a, if you're you know some sandy sites, you I think it's a, it's a it's a Great Britain and Ireland thing to. It seems to put the, the low material back on top, but you know if you're just working in pure sand, uh, the water's really important for compaction and finish. It is in the loam, but less so just because of how heavy that is. Uh, it tends to tends to hold in place and sit a little tighter and more compact. Uh, and obviously, it's, it's more fertile as well. That's why you want to get it back, get it back, uh, get it back on there before you before you start seeding seeding anything. Yeah, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily nutrient contact content actually from what i understand i think that leaches away surprisingly quickly it's more for its longer term moisture holding uh, ability where it is the value of it especially you know especially some of those holes don't have or the vast majority of those holes don't have fairway irrigation i guess bigger bigger particles perhaps or something like that definitely dries out quicker you know it, you grow in better to, with what as Clyde is saying with that extra moisture content if you have some of that back down if you put it if you put your turf back down or seed back down on just the pure white sand then you do notice it for a few years longer it's just it just feels that little bit drier Clyde the uh, the first green sites I believe were shaped and sown in June 2018 with the balance following in autumn 2019 you might tell us which greens were constructed first and uh, why were those first few greens chosen? Uh, so the 14th green was uh, shaped first. Uh, 
and the 15th green as well. So the 14th is the the sharp dog leg towards the ocean with the green, uh, kind of tucked in like an old uh, blowout sandy pit, tight to the tight to the ocean, uh, well well above the ocean, 30 feet above the ocean. Yeah, and then the 15th was the short par three. Uh, they were they were actually Brian Slyke and Brian Schneider, two of Tom's long term associates, were were over uh, for for those and had a big influence in the 14th green, especially they were kind of started, you know, so it would be unusual, you know, normally you kind of start closest to the irrigation source or the pump house. Uh, and those were actually the furthest away, but, you know, we were tying into uh, the relic irrigation from the two original St. Patrick's courses, but those were kind of like the most prominent green sites, uh, you know, and if it was kind of like, if we were going to get the project off the ground uh, to support the cases in the operation and the golf course, and they were two pretty spectacular ones to to make a start on and to get you know and to really get some uh, momentum behind the project. So so almost like Alistair McKenzie at I think was it Moortown or Allwoodley when they did one one hole and 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 in yeah. terms of I'm, I'm I'm obviously only joking but it's it, it it's funny the the comparison shall we say? I've heard uh, Tom say that the Renaissance approach to green construction often involves removal of material as opposed to using imported fill to build up the green site and surrounds. Was this principle followed in all cases at St. Patrick's Clyde? Uh, yeah, St. Patrick's, I mean, yeah, generally, generally speaking, uh, I guess Tom and the guys that work for Tom tend to see things in, or tend to see things in, maybe it's just a product of how Tom routes or selects his is green sites, but you know, it's, it's always, I always find it's easy when you're building something, it's always easier to lose material or to take it away than it is to, is to bring material in because you, you kind of never, you can never quite have enough material. Uh, you know, Tom, Tom's green site, the, the green sites of St. Patrick's were, you know, many of them were, many of them were, were kind of there and, you know, it's just a case of melting down a little bit of a high point there, you know, the ninth green, for example, ninth probably my favorite favorite hole on the on the golf course favorite green you know the, the green the green itself is exactly what was laying there with the exception of holding up the back right corner with six inches of six inches of material that we generated from somewhere else uh or it's part of the, the green construction and uh stripping process you, you know so uh yeah generally generally speaking especially you know the the work areas for the greens at st patrick's are really only stripped the green site itself and then maybe 20 30 30 yards out the front of those because we were just tying most of the time we were just tying into the native fairway contours because they were they were so good and you know nothing that we could really improve upon especially when especially when we're looking to utilize some of the existing turf and improve the improve the culture of that as rather than stripping everything and seeding new turf for the sake of it yeah maybe a question for for ali and, and we might bring frank and make sure he's not He's not falling asleep there. The Fairness Brigade might be a bit puzzled by some of the green sites and their significant internal contour. I've heard some visitors uh, opine that the greens are tricked up or they're somewhat akin to Humpty Dumpty golf. Do you feel that a comment of that nature is fair? And excuse my pun, it's quite a quite a pointed pun. No, it's kind of ridiculous, really. The way I'd like to put this is when you have a natural site like St. Patrick's or other link sites around and you have such micro fairway undulation and micro movement why would that end up in a 30 by 30 flat piece of land that you put on you know it's not natural in the end 
the most natural look and the most natural way to play is to have a green site that feels seamless and ties completely into the fairway and the, the local surrounds and um, undulations. So from a purely aesthetic point of view or a natural point of view, it makes perfect sense to have movement and undulation in these green sites because the, the surrounding land is undulating as well. And it's at the same scale, you know, it's at, at roughly the same scale. The movement you see in the greens is at the same scale as you see in the approaches and surrounds from it as well. So from that point of view, absolutely. Um, and then also from a playability point of view, you've got to remember that movement in greens adds to the fun. It adds to you able to work shots in and uh, to create shots and, and, and to try different types of shots. Um, so that adds hugely to it as well. And people that say it adds too much difficulty or whatever, well, that's all That's all wrong as well, because, you know, humps and bumps can make certain putts easier. They can make certain shots coming in easier. They can act as backstops as well. So, you know, every, every site deserves a different set of greens and the greens that have been built at St. Patrick's perfectly suit the site. You know, going back, going back to your previous question about building things in, in cut versus fill, you know, when you're building in cut, it's, 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 it's intuitive that the greens are going to tie in and sit gently at grade, which is near enough, not, at least 90% of my favorite greens in the world probably sit at grade. And, you know, the best links greens or links greens by nature normally sit at grade. So, you know, everything just kind of melts melts into the surrounds naturally. Yeah, so you've got to, Clyde, I mean, you, as you're saying there, you're going to have to tie in from a natural level on the left side to the right side, from the back side to the front side to sit at grade. And that's not always going to be flat. So, you know, you've got to put a little bit of movement in the green to move from one grade to the other, you know. So it's it, it, it's not natural to build flat green sites in there. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, some some of the green, some of the greens, I was just in general greens kind of structure, you know, kind of influenced. Well, I tend to be, you know, tend to be influenced by the surrounds. You kind of thinking about how can you how can you make this green site tied to the surround well, but also make it interesting golf shots. You know, you've got to. You can often have to having to. You know, it's such a. It's not a severe site. There are some severe contours out there. And when you're tying into those types of contours, you know. You, you kind of need contour to, to make those transitions work a lot of the time. Absolutely, yeah. I guess the other side of it is being fortunate to play it on a number of occasions in a row that actually you learn where not to be from being where you shouldn't be, if that makes any sense. And obviously, depending on where the pin is and where you're approaching from, as, as, as Ali pointed out there, you can be on the wrong side of the slope because you're just on the wrong side of the slope. But if you're actually farther over or farther to the right or farther to the left, it's actually a gathering slope or indeed may help a, a pitch back onto the green in terms of actually being a backstop. So I guess it, it comes, perhaps those comments come from from golfers that maybe play the, play the golf course once and over time they'll start to understand maybe where um you know where where the beauty is in terms of uh, that internal contour in the green well we shane maybe the comments are coming as well we, a lot of our links courses in ireland let's say you know or not many of them have much undulation in the green so we're very used to very subtle movement in the green in the green shapes um and you know so people come and play courses and when they're not used to something it seems strange um, and I think 
I think some of the comments are coming from people that are, are ju just not used to, to traveling around the world and seeing some of the other great green sites we've got and, and great undulations that work in, into um, sets of greens. Happy days. Um... Clyde, in terms of in terms of green sites again, a, a, a gasp and a number of greens slope away from the line of play. Once again, the F word might be used to characterise this type of green, something we're not completely uh, used to in Ireland and 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 perhaps the UK. What are your general thoughts on greens that slope away from a player and how that can be best tackled from a strategic perspective? Uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm very fond of greens that that slope away, I think, to, I think it's the 12th hole at Garden City in, in America is one of my favourite greens anyway. It's kind of really simple, just sits at grade and tilts away. And I think, especially in a linked environment when, you know, you're kind of dealing with a bunch of contour in up to 30, 40 yards in front of the green, uh, that, you know, kind of an extension of the green in terms of how you're thinking about what type of shot you're, you're playing. You know, it's it's a great, I think greens that tilt away, generally speaking, are, are a great way of testing people's judgment of, of length, trajectory, uh, and just striking the ball as well, you know. This and it's and it's really it's really satisfying to to see your ball release as well at the end of end of those shots. So yeah, I think you know, I think you know, I think there's there's a there's a big there's a there's a place for for greens that fall away as as part of a a great set. You know, it's a set of greens is all about variety for me. You know, you can't really look at them uh, in isolation. You know, the ninth really quiet green it just tilts gently away. Tenth green that follows sits in a sits in a saddle, and the eleventh green after that is you know one of the wildest greens imaginable. So, you know, if you looked at one of those and you looked at those in in isolation, but then you look at them as a group or as a set of greens over the eighteen, you know, that's that's you know that's how I like to analyse and think think of greens. Uh, if we move on just to take a look at aesthetics. And, and and visuals and deception maybe and obviously that plays into psychology perhaps Clyde. As an unabashed Mackenzieite, or sorry, I beg your pardon, as unabashed Mackenzieites, uh, both yourself and Tom Doak undoubtedly are exponents of different visuals being presented to golfers from different sides of a fairway. In practice, how easy was this to accomplish on the site in St Patrick's? It's funny that you mention it actually because my probably when I think of Mackenzie or my favorite, uh, my favorite, uh, well, the greatest strength of Mackenzie I would find is it was his ability to use fairway camp, you know, the slope and side slope of fairways versus what the slope was doing in a green. Uh, but going back to your question on aesthetics, you know, and blending in, uh, it's kind of interesting because you know, on a on a site of the scale of St. Patrick's. Yeah, with some of those massive blowouts, it's not quite as easy as you'd think. Uh, 16 is probably a pretty good example to look at. Uh, you've got the, the massive ridge of of sand dunes, exposed sand dunes, way in the distance behind that hole. Uh, 16 green kind of sits below. Uh, Angela Moser spent, or mate, built a beautiful big uh, blowout kind of in the kind of in the drive zone that kind of sits it's of, of an enormous scale that kind of blends into the stuff behind you know tom tom was really desperate to see that one built and that's turned out really nice but you know the kind of scale that that was built at just to just to fit in with the stuff that was going on behind and then even in front of even in front of the t there was there was time spent you know exposing sand you know partly partly because of the construction mainly because of the construction process in terms of you know just 
generate enough material to sit the tees at a grade that you wanted to but you know introducing sand into the foreground in front of the tee just to just to bring your eye down and just focus you on the golf when you've got an amazing you know sense of you know there's amazing scale to the to the backdrop and the stuff that's going on behind the hole just to bring your eye back down to the hole uh and then the ninth is another good example of of you know that was probably a little bit easier there because the because the work it wasn't the same you know it's a different backdrop you're kind of playing in land towards the beautiful set of mountains in the in the distance there but you know kind of the, just because the way the the way the fairway drapes over and tumbles over a series of, of roles you know uh, Andrew and Eric crafted a, a beautiful uh, you know setback of of bunkers one into the first ridge two into the next one then three into the one behind you know kind of it kind of really deceives the the inside line and that's kind of the line you want to to take on a on a long par four where you need all you can to to get to the green so yeah maybe just picking up on on that and 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 the first time i played sorry beg your pardon the second time i played the par five fourth hole clyde i hit my ball just to the very the right place in the fairway where a visual symphony greeted me a line from the father ted episode where ted and Dougal speak about cattle that are small and far away kind of comes to mind apologies for those that don't get the reference i will put a link to the sketch in the show notes for clarification uh, what greeted me in terms of this uh, far away or near was a perfect visual match between two bunkers separating probably by 150 yards but seemingly intertwined i'm kind of assuming this visual sorcery was not by accident which hole was that sorry on the on the par five fourth so okay. I, it, it was probably yeah, yeah, off yeah. off the off the drive plan my second yeah 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 no yeah no for sure they kind of you know when you're when you're in the when you're in the fairway sat there you kind of got the you got the big you got the big kind of trench you like bunker that that holds up the left the front left shoulder of the green and that kind of you know when you when you sat on the tee that kind of blends into the massive expanse of sand that climbs all the way at the coastline all the way as far as the 15th green and then when you kind of when you kind of down at, at eye level or no, fairway level yeah there's a there's a ridge angling in kind of nicely set about 80 yards short of short of the front of the green there where mm-hmm. there's two two bunkers that sit uh sit into the ridge and that kind of angle across and, and kind of feel like the blend into the one short of the green so it really it really compresses that space between the bunkers and the green the reality is you've got lots of room to play in between that space but when you when you're down on the fairway there and the wind's coming against you or coming coming off the right you know it feels like it's it's a big ass to get past those when perhaps it's not quite as onerous as it seems i'm glad i wasn't imagining things so Maybe we can have a look at the uh, at the tea pads and, and the freeform nature of of, of those uh, elements. Uh, informal freeform tea pads are in evidence in many holes in St Patrick's, often bleeding away from putting surfaces and into into the teas themselves. If memory serves, examples of this are in evidence between the eighth and the ninth, the eighth sorry the eighth green and the ninth tea. 10th green and the 11th tee and again between the 13th green and the 14th tee these small elements feel like a real throwback to how golf perhaps once was was this treatment and presentation a conscious decision or something that just evolved over the course of construction uh, it's probably uh it's probably a product of just dealing with the, the nature of the site you know, believe it or not the tees and the pathways getting people around that golf course and that site probably was probably the most difficult part of the construction job 
you know, it's it's such a beautiful landscape. You want to disturb as little as little as possible. Uh, you know, so building building. You know, obviously, it's a product of how close the the green to the tees were in some of those instances. You know, from eight to nine, eight to nine was actually one of the hardest places to figure out how to get people, you know, around because eight's playing into the beautiful little kind of semi bowl saddle that's kind of blending out to the right. But then there was a great natural tea site sat pretty much on top of that green and it's you know, it's you know, so that was that was kind of like that was a great win that one, Clyde. I, I felt getting eight, you know, getting ninety up high, sitting right beside eight green. So other people might not have seen that. They might have might have just seen the space for the the one green, but there's there's ample space to move off green onto onto the tee and then have the great vista down ninth hole, which you kind of need because you're playing over a diagonal ridge on nine. Playing that from down low, it wouldn't be anything like the same kind of visual impact on the on the golf hole. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's you know, it's kind of like. It's, it's a lot of it's problem solving, you know, you kind of, you kind of finding the right levels for the tees. When you're building the actual tees, you're kind of lifting marum here. It might, you might build half a tee, strip some marum, do a little bit of shaping to tighten, put the marum back where you want it. And, you know, kind of, it's kind of a delicate, uh, it's a delicate construction process, uh, or a, at least a, one that requires a lot of thought and, and forward thinking, uh, you know, 13, 13 to 14, again, you know, that kind of has that seam, like, Kind of seamless uh, blend through, partly again because just because you know that was the great spot for a tee, really close to the 13th green. You know the flow works really well. You get you got to get people around the golf course, so it makes sense for those to to transition transition onwards. So it's kind of quite nice to have that variety. I think there's you know with hindsight, some of those tee ting areas could have been bigger. I think given how successful St Patrick's is going to be, uh, we'll, we'll wish we'd have built some of them bigger. But you know it's you know it's kind of when, when you're shaping out there, it's kind of it's pretty hard battle to fight because you you kind of you built you work on such a, a, a you've got a site that's of such a grand scale and then you kind of honed into such a really small space you know the challenge is not to over design in that small space or overbuild. I guess it must be difficult to keep sort of perspective from a spatial perspective as you're operating in such a such a large canvas yeah yeah for sure for sure and you know it's 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 Getting, getting people around the site at St. Patrick's was was and is a big challenge. You know, I'm a carrier, but it's easy it's easy to forget how many people in Great Britain Island take trolleys around, and you know, you kind of you kind of fighting the desire to you kind of fighting the need to make sure the golf course functions from a from a general play point of view without giving up on the on the artistry sometimes. So uh, it's a balance. It's a balance. But I think you know there's a, there's a great there's a great variety of tea sites, and I think the the freeform teams are no they're not you know they're a product of they're a product of the environment that we're working in. I think dealing with the some quite severe teeing sites and not wanting to disturb more than we had to. Uh, I don't think they'll be to everyone's tastes, but uh, I think they're a, a little bit different, and a little bit different is good when it comes to golf courses, in, in my opinion. No, for sure, variety is uh, is to be welcomed. We've managed to get nearly an hour through this without mentioning the dreaded COVID-19 pandemic, which I know threw a few curveballs at the St. Patrick's project with regard to restrictions on international travel, uh, in addition to occasions where I'm sure work couldn't be started or finished just because of a requirement for people to stay at home. Um, I guess as a result of the COVID-19 restrictions, Eric Iverson, 
ended up being the, the man in charge on site. Just wondering if Tom Doak's enforced absence changed the usual Renaissance dynamic on site. Yeah, Eric Harrison was the Eric Harrison was the lead associate from from day one, and he he deserves a, a bunch of credit for the way he organised and dealt with the dealt with the site beyond his undoubted artistic and shaping ability. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a little bit of a different dynamic. You kind of you kind of got to have you know Eric and Tom had walked the site together so many times. There was there was some pretty there was some good instruction from Tom, so we we kind of knew what Tom was looking for. Uh, in the majority of majority of cases you know when when it's always best when when tom's there you know he's he always he never really always put you know, one of his his editing is you know always always improves always improves the final product so you know we were kind of you know at the point where tom was able to you know tom had been around to approve all the green sites he'd, he'd nailed the routing so those those are the things that are really important to the success of of saint patrick's uh, you know, so a lot of the work that was left was, uh, you know, the, the spot shaping of, of fairways and bunker shaping and and tea building. So, uh, you know, you we were, you know, really weren't disturbing too much, too much ground out there at that point. We were just kind of making sure the golf course was was playable and and fun. So, yeah, it was a, a slightly little bit different dynamic in in the sense that we hadn't seen Tom Tom around for a while. But I believe he was, he's been pretty happy with how it's turned out. So, Yeah, apropos that, um, I, I suppose he, he, he was, uh, until his arrival, just prior to uh, official opening at early June 2021, Tom had not been on site, I believe, since autumn 2019. From listening to his interview with uh, Andy Johnson on the fried egg, I understand he was very happy with what he found when he arrived in Downing's. I'm sure there might have been some surprises for him when he arrived. What do you think he was most surprised about? Ooh, I haven't been on site with Tom since uh, since then, actually, not at St. Patrick's. I think I, I think probably seeing it finished, the uh, the scale of the of the the fairway contours, the you know, he he knew they were there, but you know, I think seeing that seeing it when the the turf's tight and down in places, you know, it's gonna be real really eye opening. I suspect, uh, yeah, hard, hard to answer, hard to answer. You certainly, I've certainly heard him quite say how much he, he loves those uh, those fairway undulations that you bring up there, and they are, they're great, you know, just a variety on different holes. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get Mr. Casey out of his slumber there. Frank, after nine years of planning, funding, building and growing in, St. Patrick's opened at the end of June 2021. What can you tell us about the days immediately before and after opening as the first few guests started to percolate around the site that hadn't welcomed a golfer in nearly 20 years? Yeah, it was sort of a, a very different couple of years. Um, you know, with all the COVID delays and shutdowns, um, we had two very different seasons, 2020 and 2021. So. Just getting the golf course finished and open was a was a feat in itself, uh, and then being being able to welcome people was uh, you know all the more rewarding with the with the, the last two years of the project. So uh, we opened in late June. The weather when we opened and just before we opened was was, uh, was absolutely beautiful, and it was a really nice summer. So everybody that came had a 
played it in, in quite benign weather, which was nice. Um, and the feedback immediately was uh, was very good. Everybody was enamored with the with the routing, with the green complexes, with the width of the tee, uh, with the fairway contour. So um, our our initial feedback was very positive. Ali, obviously not long after opening, uh, Ram Morissette and his golf magazine ranking list was released, and St Patrick's jumped straight into the. Uh, 55th position in the world rankings. I know you're involved in another Irish-based ranking list. Can you speak to how St. Patrick's ended up where it did uh, on the golf magazine list and whether the traditional heavyweight, sorry, heavyweights will need to start looking over their shoulders in time? Best to, to talk about the golf magazine rankings so they don't sit on them, but it's it was always gonna it was always gonna make a splash. Numerous reasons that we've already talked about. You know, one, the fantastic site. Two, you know, when you bring Tom and team to to a project, they're going to give you a, you know, at minimum, top class golf cut, uh, course. You know, and quite often world class golf course, which they have have here. It offers something completely different to other links courses uh, in Ireland. First of all, the scale. Um, Tom brings a certain style. He probably would hate me saying that. He brings a certain style to to the way he builds golf course, but it's driven by his design philosophy. And you know, one of the primary differences is the width he brings to to the golf, um, hiding the transition, the mowing lines, really from an aesthetic point of view. Um, but obviously, the strategy and and the playability and the enjoyability as well. So it's it's very different to many of the classic links courses that we've got. But when you bring all of those things together and then put them on a genuine link site that has so much variety, then it was always going to jump into into the world top hundred. And you know, it deserves its deserves its place in there. And it offers something different, right? So, will it usurp other courses, right? The, you know, other classic courses with a load of history at the top of the Irish rankings? I guess we'll wait and see. But they all offer you something different. They're all world class. And we should just really be thrilled with how many great courses we have in Ireland and how many great courses we have in Great Britain and Ireland. Clyde, much of the uh, initial photography that was uh, that accompanied many of the great reviews, initial reviews, uh, was was actually taken by you. Firstly, many congratulations on the results. It's remarkable. You uh, you managed to encapsulate the ambiance and the. The vibe of, of, of St. Patrick's read really well. I'm keen to understand whether you used any other medium to document the construction and growing process other than just your trusty camera. No, it was, uh, it was just, a, just a trusty camera, to be honest. Uh, being out there a, a fair bunch, you kind of got a good chance of, of hitting some nice light. So, you know, it was either, either ground photography or drone photography that's kind of trying to capture the golf course from just above ground level. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of drone photography. I kind of feel like it flattens out golf courses and you kind of don't really get a, a true sense of how the golf hole actually plays. But on a site as brawny and as difficult to reverse quickly uh, as St. Patrick's, it was, you know, that was a really handy tool for for getting some, you know, for getting some photographs while, the, you know, when the light just pops at the right time. And, you know, I think, I think it's a, uh, it's a great, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's an amazingly beautiful place at all times. 
of the year, but when you kind of get to that late, you know, mid September, uh, October, you know, early autumn time where, you know, things are just popping a little bit with, with rainfall and rainbow season, as I call it, in the sunshine, you know, it, it really comes into its own. For the Renaissance junkies out there, Frank, I'm just wondering if Don Plasek has completed the coveted Renaissance map yet. He has, yeah. He has. He, he's done a version of it. Um, Don hasn't been here since June 18, uh, unfortunately, with with uh, one thing and another and COVID. Um, so the, the one that we have isn't exactly uh, up to date regards uh, bunkering, uh, etc. So that's something that we we're gonna have to get round to and um, get one that's a hundred percent accurate. So that's something that we'll hopefully maybe see done later this year um, and see see where it goes from there. Clyde, you're a renowned traveler and visitor to golf courses. Can you tell us about any adventures that you may have had around the northwestern edge of Donegal, Sligo, Mayo, and probably Derry? either golfing or just staring at dunescapes and yeah. no doubt there was ample opportunity for that either uh, on your on your limited off days or indeed during uh, during some enforced covid uh, covid lockdowns yeah yeah well I've, you know donegal is one of my favorite places in the world it's just amazingly beautiful some pretty good golf there now especially so I, don't, you know, I actually honeymooned there. I actually honeymooned there, so I, you know, I highly recommend it as a holiday destination. The place just there's so many beautiful beaches. The people are amazingly friendly. Yeah, as for the golf, you know, outside of the playing at Rosapenna, uh, and, you know, I, I, I enjoy Port Allen a lot. Again, it's an amazingly beautiful place. Some some fine holes. Not a, not a massive fan of some of the more. Uh, contemporary work there but uh otway otway was in the otways otway should be a, otway should have been a cult classic until they kind of lost three of the holes uh i think it was free because of at least free greens uh, because of a land dispute but that was like a it's one of the, one of the island's oldest golf courses i believe but uh, right on the banks of loch swilly uh has an amazing had, had like an amazingly crazy nine hole routing that kind of crisscrossed each of them was proper hard hat stuff, but you know, luckily, quite the place as quiet as that, you're probably out there on your own anyway. Uh, you know, Dunfanaghy down the roads, it's kind of mundane, links landing places, but then there's a few beautiful holes that play around the cove, and then a really strong finish to a par five at the 16th, then the par three that follows it back towards town. The 17th is a really interesting, interesting hole as well. Uh, you know, there's Critch Island that's amazingly raw and rugged and plenty of fun. Uh, nothing much quite like that. And, you know, there's the the twelve thirteen hole golf course at Godore that's that's kind of partly on comedies. There's some there's some funky stuff there, but then there's some some real old old school proper sheep moan links turf and greens. We play that there, and you know wrapping round you've got the new the new call the new golf course at Narin uh, in Port New. Uh, I was I was a I really like the charm of the original golf course, but I think most people would. We'll find the new course at least. Uh, we'll find it certainly visually stimulating with some of the work they've done there. So, yeah, Donegal's a, a fantastic place to base to base yourself for a week and just golf and spend some time enjoying the beautiful, uh, beautiful beaches. Frank, at this stage of the piece, you've been involved in building forty-five holes on the Rossapenna property in some context. Eighteen, obviously, at Sandy Hills. 
Nine more with the Strand 9 and now 18 at St. Patrick's. I wonder if you might be able to compare and contrast the experiences and learnings perhaps gleaned from almost 20 years of constructing on sand-based sites in your own little sandbox. Well, I was quite young whenever Sandy Hills was being developed in the sort of late 90s. So um, it was a different process to, to working with. With It was uh, Pat Ruddy with a contract shaper, um, Fanning. Um, at the time from Wicklow um, did most of the construction with um, just some other local operators uh, but then when we moved to the Strand 9 we actually redid the greens with Eric um, and that was the first time obviously we worked with Eric Iverson um, and Tom and then obviously Eric was the lead associate on St. Patrick's so just getting to watch the likes of, of, of Eric, Angela, Clyde and Blake um, on-site, you know, design shape, the way things would change in the field, um, you know, through the course of a day or a couple of days as they work and, and feedback from each other. It was um, it was a very exciting time. It was great to watch. You know, my brother John and I were there two, three, four times a day. We'd go over, walk around, um, just to kind of to see the progress, you know, it was and and at quite a at quite a you know decent pace as well. We didn't get started until July nineteen. So to get all the greens and the surrounds shaped and approved and irrigation and to get them seeded in early September was uh, you know there's a lot of long days at July August um for the guys out on site. So things moved at quite a pace um to try and get the seed in the ground to get a strike before before winter would come. So um an absolute fun you know great project to be part of working with with renaissance and tom has been a fantastic experience but um at this stage there's very little left to build on so i think we're i think this is probably it at this stage i think you i'm not sure you need more though frank you've got no, so much I know. yeah you know you've made the the resort and the area of donegal such a destination now i mean it always was but to add the world-class course on top of it you know, I'm sure part of the aim was to uh, attract people up there for days on end. And I'm, I'm sure, or, or are you seeing that? I'm sure you are with your pre-bookings for 2022, that you're seeing a lot more people come in for two, three, four days, as opposed to just flying in and leaving. Yeah, that's the thing. It's um, people will stay now and stay at least two, if not three nights and play. You know, we have a three links ticket that's extremely popular um, one round in each. You know, we also have a lot of people who who have been here before, and you know, maybe are just returning to do one or thirty six in St Patrick's. You know, um, but yeah, Donegal is a fantastic county for golf. You know, from Ballyleffin to Merva to Portneu, Critch, Port Salon, uh, Northwest, um, it's Dunfanaghy. It's it's a great destination for golf, and we're finding that that it's um, we're getting more people, more and more people, even with the with COVID in 2020, more people came to Donegal. Obviously, nobody was leaving the island, so we got a, a lot of people who'd never been in Donegal before and didn't realise what was up here or the quality of golf that was up here. So, and then St Patrick's has given people a, a reason to come back to Donegal uh, and back to Rossapena. So, um, we definitely see see ourselves as a as a the whole northwest as a as a as a you know a great contender for for that golf trip to Ireland. I'd like to get a feel for from the three of you actually what you all like in a golf hole and with that in mind I'd like to know what your favourite hole is at St. Patrick's you can only choose one 
and Mr. Casey can go first. Favorite hole. Um, it's probably it's probably the six or nine. But if you were to hold a gun to my head, probably the ninth. Okay. The nine par four. Mr. Johnson, what's your favorite hole? Yeah, I'd probably pick the ninth as well. I love how it's just like the classic half par hole. You know, you kind of it's right on the edge. You got you know for for an average average hitter like me, you kind of you got really got to hook the danger on the inside. Then it's kind of the greens just within reach, but if you don't if you don't quite get there, there's like a 10, 15 foot depression short of the green that leaves you with a semi blind put or pitch back up. But then there's like a huge huge bank, huge bank to to the right of the green, you can use to just bomb something in and let it run back to the pin. And it's just, you know, the green's just so simple, just tilts away and sits so naturally amongst uh, some beautiful exposed sand there on the left. And Mr. McIntosh, are you ninth as well? I was going to say nine, but if I say nine, then it makes it sound like there's no other great holes in the course and that almost in, in many ways, they're all as good as each other and you can choose a different one on, on different days. I do love nine. I love the way uh, you're, you're, hitting that tee shot over a kind of diagonal uh, carry as well. Not a diagonal carry, a diagonal ridge as well. There's a load of great things in nine. It's a really brilliant way to, to finish the front line. Could choose anything, but if you'd asked me before, you'd ask the other two, I would have said nine as well. It's funny. It's like, there's a, there's a really there's a really good set of par fives there as well, which is really unusual for Lynx golf. So I'd be tempted to pick one of the par fives on another day just for the sake of being a little con country or being a contrarian. For the record, I probably would have chosen nine as well, but I do I do, do love all the golf holes. Just before we move on, I just wanted to echo what Clyde and uh, Frank has said with regard to Donegal. I first visited there over 20 years ago. Um, on that trip, we visited Rossapena, Ballyliffin and Merva. Since then, I've been drawn back by the people, the Lynx golf and the sublime sublimely majestic scenery if you've never been to Donegal or for, go or for golf or for anything else you're missing out Critch Island obviously is obviously one, arguably one of the best nine hole golf courses in the world the Gil Hansen Jim Wagner renovation of Naren and Portneu must be seen to be believed not to mention the twin delights of the glass sheedy and the old course of Ballyliffin with the sneaky kicker that's now the Ballyliffin pollen short course Northwest, Bundoran, Dunfanaghy Otway are obviously all very viable options and Finally, there are a few better sights than the vista afforded to golfers from the second tee at Port Salon, where a Cape-style hole must, must be negotiated and a force carry across a tidal inlet. The opening of St. Patrick's Links reinforces my belief that Donegal is now arguably the best county for golf in Ireland. Put it at or near the top of your list. It's that good and it will keep, you, it, it will keep drawing you back. Final few questions, lads. All our guests are asked a variation of this final question. As two very well-travelled golf tragics in, in, in Frank and, and Clyde, I'd like you to name five courses that are currently on your bucket list and why they appear there. Clyde, you can have a go at that one first. Uh, I'll, try and, I'll try and go one on each continent. Uh, one on each continent. Well, I'll try and go one for a country, a continent. Probably pick Bank Springs. Uh, I was kind of really drawn to that when I was a picture on the front of a golf world magazine when I was about eight or nine, probably. Uh, I'd like to see more of Stanley Thompson's work. So Bant Springs, uh, Oakmont is probably the only great golf course in America, probably league, well, probably the only great golf course in America that I still haven't seen or I'd really like to see. Uh, you know, you don't see too many pictures of that or, you know, what you see in pictures kind of only shows 
the dominating hazards there, but I, I, I imagine it's got a great set of greens. Uh, I'd really like to spend some time golfing in Japan, so I should probably say Hirono for, for Japan. I kind of I really like seeing golf courses that are out there and pretty remote in the UK, so I'd really like to go and see the golf course in the Isle of Colonsay. Uh, would be number four. Uh, and then I'd like to go and play some golf uh, in South America as well, so uh, I'd pick the Jockey Club in Argentina by McKenzie. Uh, Mr. Casey, you want to have a stab at that? Yeah, I, um, one place I haven't got to play yet is uh, Shinnecock. I was there for the uh, for the uh, US Open in 2018 and got to walk it for a couple of days. And um, that's something I'd, I'd love to see. Fascinated by new projects as well. Um, you know, Sandbist especially you know, to see what else, you know, having just developed St. Patrick's, you know, to see what else is kind of is out there. So, you know, it's, it's probably stuff that's under construction at the minute. Uh, for Clyde and Angela are now at TRE. Love to get down there in a year or two's time to, to see how that's turned out. You've also got uh, Seven Mile Beach um, in Hobart. So while down there, I could pop over to see that. Um, Old Barnwell, where Brian and Blake um, are building a course in South Carolina. Be pretty cool to get across to see that. Um, two extremely talented guys, two of the nicest guys in the industry. So really like to see how that goes for them. And then probably um, the last one that looks that looks pretty amazing is the Lido at Sand Valley in uh, Wisconsin that uh, Brian Snyder's been doing with Tom as well um that just looks to be extremely interesting the whole process behind it and 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 the uh the information that they found and um how it's been done how it's been recreated is uh, is fascinating so uh, i'd love to see that whenever it's it's well i think they're going to be ready for preview play maybe later this summer so maybe see a few holes there ali we might uh, ask you that question as well so you're not feeling left out <laughs> I hadn't considered an answer. I'll answer it slightly differently then. Uh, well, I, I, I'm heading to Chicago and Michigan in August, so that's one of the trips I've got set up. So there's a few courses there. Actually, hopefully hooking up with Tom in North Michigan, see the Loop, um, uh, see Crystal Downs, um, seeing a couple of courses in Chicago. So looking forward to that. Um, maybe I'll answer it. Which of Tom's courses haven't I seen? Seeing as it's you know it's apt to this conversation. I'd really love to see Barn Blue. I, I think some of the courses that Tom's worked on that attract me most are the ones where he's had to do, or the team have had to do least. Um, and St. Patrick's, one of the reasons St. Patrick's wins so well is they've done just the right amount. They had to do, you know, it was it's pure minimalism, really. They've just chosen what they need to do, and they've done the perfect amount of work there. Something like Barn Boogle kind of attracts me to the in the same style or at least i believe the same style it looks like it was a slightly uh, or a, a very minimalist kind of build as well and you know it would be interesting to see somewhere like barn Rule, i think uh, i'm seeing the loop in august there's there's plenty of other courses i would like to see at tom's but those two are are high up on the list definitely going back to doing the right amount of work at st patrick's probably one of the hardest decisions for eric and the superintendent george george helly to make during construction was you, you, you know, you know, it's, it's, it, almost, you know, you were doing so little, it was just like, should, 
should we should we establish this by turf or should we strip it, do a little bit of work and seed it? You know, it was yeah. kind of they were they were almost the hardest decisions. Yeah, I can well believe it, Clyde. You know, I can well believe it. What criteria would generally drive that? Excuse my ignorance. I mean, it's is it, it it's obviously not a guessing game, but there's obviously a little bit of trial and error to it. Or, or what criteria would you generally use to make those decisions, Clyde? And I do appreciate you didn't ultimately make the decision, but in, well, in the case in the case of St Patrick's, it was partly to do with seeding window, ability to get irrigation in the ground in time, availability of quality turf you know because we're it was kind of a strip and flip job there was areas of old fairway that weren't being used as part of the tom's new golf course you know how much turf did we have to to move from there to you know areas that we're working on you know part of the reason part of the reason why you see some sandy scars on the on the hillside the big hillside at the moment because you know those were areas that were old fairways that weren't part of tom's routing that were stripped of turf uh, and just allowed to naturalize hopefully with time those big sandy scrapes you know there's just enough vegetation up there and hopefully they'll they'll disappear and won't be as as big of a you know as prominent of a feature on the hillside but you know uh, they were you know it was, a, it was kind of a tricky logistical logistical uh decision making process for eric and george sounds sounds like it and, and i guess if you look at the google earth images over time you can kind of get a feel for for what was um what was there before and and how it sort of evolved over time in terms of where that turf was taken from in conclusion i'd, I'd obviously like to thank my two guests and, and indeed ali as well for contributing um in conclusion it would be remiss of me not to ask frank to uh, be able to explain to listeners how they might go about booking golf or accommodation at rossapena this year the moral of the story obviously being that you would surely have to book four rounds one in each of St. Patrick's, Sandy Hills and the old Tom Morris course with one round left over for your favourite from the three courses. Yeah, that's one way of doing it. Uh, it all depends on, on people's time restraints, etc. Um, so yeah, just uh, go online or, or send us, you know, go online. You can either book online, you can send us an email or just give us a ring, just any of the, the standard ways and still good, good availability all across the season. Um not as much for accommodation, but but for golf, yeah, no problem. So just uh, get in touch and, and we'll try and put something together. Well, guys, all that remains to do is to thank Frank and Clyde and indeed Ali for their time today. We hope this episode has whetted your appetite to visit the Rossapena Resort in general and St. Patrick's, obviously, in particular. You really must experience the delights on offer at Downings. You will not leave disappointed. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the chat. Just a little reminder, you can find us at firmandfast.golf and on Twitter at firmandfastgolf. Rossapena website is rossapena.ie. We really do hope you enjoyed the story of St. Patrick's Links. Until the next time, happy golfing.